Did any of you all hear Pat Robertson's comments about the uh, earthquake in Haiti last week? Okay. For those that didn't or don't know, uh, Pat Robertson's a televangelist, founder of the Christian Coalition. And all week long, I kept hearing um, claims about, or his, you know, I kept hearing about his comments that Haiti was being punished for a pact that they had made with the devil several hundred years ago. Yay for Christians, I thought. People are suffering, there's been this huge disaster, and once again, we've got a really vocal Christian saying, it's all their fault, they're evil and wicked and sinful, and God hates them, and God hates most of us sinful human wretches. And hearing about Pat Robertson's comments made me a little bit less than proud to be a Christian. I wanted in some way to disassociate myself from him, or at least from what he had said. And then this morning I actually listened to what he said and watched it. His comments were not nearly as bad as they were reported to be. The the reports were, uh, all the reports that I heard could hardly have been less accurate. Pat Robertson is not angry with Haiti. He does not feel they deserved the earthquake. Rather, he feels the nation of Haiti has been suffering ever since this supposed pact with the devil. Now, he, he does believe that, but he believes that he, he feels, feels compassion for this nation, that they are suffering because of this pact with the devil from centuries ago. His comments were made out of compassion. He said that he was hoping that something good might come from the quake, not that he thought that the earthquake was a good thing. He he hoped that the people of Haiti would have a great turning towards God because of this. Now I realize there's a presumption in that, that the people of Haiti are turned against God. But even so, this was being said from the point of view of and, and trying to get people to help the people of Haiti. He did not say that he was glad for the quake, nor did he say Haiti was being punished. He was rather trying to get more aid for the suffering people of Haiti. Told in context and hearing what he actually said, it makes a little more sense. The problem we have is hearing things without really knowing and understanding. If we were to just to say to a bunch of non-Christians who didn't know anything about the gospel one day, hey, guess what? We eat people and drink their blood. And drink their blood. We're actually just this one guy, but we drink his blood every week. They might wonder about that. It sounds a little crazy. Us Christians are cannibals. If you don't understand what in the world we're talking about, when we say that when we say that we eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood, someone who knows nothing about it would probably be horrified by it. In the same way, he was speaking to largely to people who understood. Pat Robertson was speaking to people who largely understood who he was, what he felt, and understood his view of the world. And then hearing it by people, and unfortunately, you know, he's on TV, so everyone else hears it. And so his comments were not accurately reported. His comments were less than helpful. It would not be helpful for us to just shout from the top of a hill somewhere, We drink people's blood! Come be a Christian! Would it be a very helpful comment? His comments were not very helpful, to say the least. And many believe that he's a hateful man, and they believe that like many Christians, he and many Christians are forever condemning the world because of what he said. And again, some Christians might want to disassociate dissociate themselves from Pat Robertson, like I did earlier this week. Or at least they want to separate themselves from, from his comments. 
But he is a part of the church. And if we say that we are not a part of him, then we say there is more than one church. Or we say that God gets rid of certain parts of the church when they do something wrong. And both of those are rather dangerous things to say. If there's more than one church, or if we we mess up and then God just says, Oh, you're not a part of the church anymore. The Book of Common Prayer in the uh, marriage ceremony says, The bond and covenant of marriage was established by God in creation. And our Lord Jesus Christ adorned marriage by His presence and first miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, which we just heard in our Gospel reading today. And because of this and other allusions to marriage, like the passage we heard from Isaiah, marriage signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and His Church. The Church is the Bride of Christ, and last I checked, Jesus is not a polygamist. So when parts of the Church do things with which we, do not, uh, with which we disagree, we may want to disassociate ourselves from those parts of the church but that's a very great insult to the bride of Christ to say you don't belong or to say to Jesus guess what you've got a whole bunch of different brides Lord Paul was addressing this issue of division in the church in his letter to Corinthians the Corinthian church that was one that was divided as we see in the first chapter of his letter some saying that they belong to Paul some to Apollos some to Cephas and Paul was reminding them that they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the 12th chapter, which we heard today, Paul was reminding them again that even with their spiritual gifts, they might be doing a bunch of different things, they might have a whole bunch of different, uh, different gifts, but these are not all gifts from a bunch of different spirits. But all of the gifts that they had were gifts given by Jesus Christ. They were all part of the one church, not many. For us too then, we don't get to say that some members of the church are not really a part of us. God's delight is in the church as his one bride, even when members of the church do things that are less than admirable. In the passage from Isaiah, which we heard today, God was speaking to the people of Israel letting them know that he had not forgotten his covenant with them and that he had not forsaken them. Israel had strayed from God and as a consequence, most of the people had been exiled to either Assyria or Babylon, but God had not forgotten them and God would restore them. God would never abandon Israel and would even rename her, as we heard today, so that she would be called, My delight is in her. And here we are now, thousands of years later, and God has still not abandoned His people Israel. And He's even extended the blessing beyond the historic people of Israel to include all the nations, the Gentiles, you and me, grafting the church into Israel, His bride. So we too, the church, can be called, My delight is in her. God's delight is in His bride, the church. And considering the many wonderful things the church does, it's easy to understand quite often why God delights in the church. Looking at the response of so many to the earthquake in Haiti, or looking at the things that when, when the church follows the teachings of Christ, 
when, when we truly are a light to the nations, when we serve those around us, when we forgive those around us, when we act out of love and share the joy of the gospel that is in us, we can easily see why God's delight is in the church. On the other hand, when we do things that are less than admirable, or when some members of the church do things that are less than admirable, we may wonder how God could possibly delight in the church. We may want to disassociate ourselves from parts of the church in which we don't delight to make sure that if we don't delight in this, maybe God doesn't delight in this part of the church and I still want God to delight in me. So we disassociate ourselves to make sure God still delights in us. But there's, again, there are these two fundamental errors to such thinking. One, as I've already addressed, is the thought that Jesus could have more than one bride. And the second error is this idea that God's delight in the church, if we truly are one, it's the understanding that God's delight in the church is based solely upon our actions. God is displeased when we act badly. No question. God is displeased with His church when as a whole or members of the church act badly. But that does not mean that God will abandon us. If we are God's bride, then His delight is in us and He will never abandon us. If we believe that God will abandon us, then we would spend most of our time acting out of fear. Imagine being in a marriage or in a relationship where the primary motivating factor in all you do is fear that this person will abandon you. Then you don't really get to do anything love and loving and kind to this person other than just, I, I hope you don't leave, so here I'll do something nice for you. Or imagine, on the other hand, being in a marriage or a relationship where you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that, that person is not going to leave you and will not forsake you. Then you get to act out of love to that other person without fear of being abandoned but purely honoring that person out of love for that person. Which one sounds better? Second? Nodding heads, good. Okay. Second sounds better to me. I would rather be in a relationship of love than fear. And so we can be sure that God loves us and will not abandon his church, even when we mess up. And so, taking that into account, how then are we to talk and act about his church when people do things that are less than helpful? I would say with compassion and understanding, even to those with whom we disagree. Thinking of the example this week of the statements that I heard all about from Pat Robertson. Well, I was upset because he was making these statements, these angry, hateful statements towards the people of Haiti. And so I was acting out of anger and hate towards him. Pot calling the kettle black there. Turns out he wasn't even making the statements that I thought he was. And so all I was really doing was sort of breaking the part of church. I was disassociating myself from him. How much better if instead I could say, no, I don't understand. I, I don't quite agree with what he said. And I don't understand his worldview. I don't understand his, the way he understands God. I have a different understanding of God. 
And here's who I understand God to be. But here's one more thing. I understand that He is still a part of the church and that God will not abandon Him any more than God will abandon me just because He might be incorrect in some of His thinking or in some of His actions. Now, that's a God I think people need to hear about. The God that's angry and hateful and and will abandon us at the drop of a hat. The God whom we must fear at all times. I don't know if people need to hear anything more about that God. But the God who will never forsake us. The God who loves us and stays true to us even when we don't stay true to Him. Now that's something people could hear. And when we disagree with other people in the church... That's a message that will be helpful for people to hear. That God does not abandon us just because we disagree. Some of us are wrong. No question. God doesn't abandon us because of it. Even the ones who are wrong in God's church are ones in whom God delights. Pray that we might remember that and think with some compassion and and some understanding when we disagree remembering that we are all the bride of Christ. Amen.